Welcome to the Six Figure Developer Podcast, a podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Tanya Janka. Tanya is founder and CEO at We Hack Purple Academy, community and podcast. Welcome, Tanya. Thank you so much for having me. I am looking forward to this. Yeah. Uh, so before we sort of jump into the meat of things, uh, Tanya, would you give uh, our listeners maybe a little introduction to yourself, um, like tell them how you got started in the industry? So I have probably one of the more unusual career paths uh, for a woman. So my aunt graduated computer science uh, and she was like the first woman in Ontario where I'm from to graduate. Then my other aunt did, then three of my uncles did, then my cousins did. And then I was like, oh, you know what I think I want to do? I think I want to take computer science. My parents were like, we know. <laughs> but they let me come to it on my own. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, um, I, and then I was a programmer for a really long time. And I'd met a bunch of security teams, but I wasn't super sold on security for a long time. I was the average dev who would go like this with the security team. Functionality <laughs> versus security. Deadlines versus security. You're saying no and not explaining why. But then I met someone and he was an, an ethical hacker, like penetration tester. And I still wasn't convinced. I still didn't want to join, but he was in a band and I was in a band. So I play drums and guitar and sing. And I am the same name on Spotify. And like I have band albums and all of that. So went up to him at work one day and I was like, hey, my band wrote this song called Mandatory Dance Party. And I want to make a mobile app that where if two people both have it installed and then they're close to each other, it does this crazy beep countdown. And then they have to have a dance party on the spot. And then I want to <laughs> use that little like, I, I can't remember what it's called inside your phone to see who moves more. And then that person wins the dance battle. And then they just go about their day. And he's like, I'm in. And so then we became <laughs> friends and then he spent a year and a half convincing me to join the security field. And then that's when I basically fell in love with the idea of being that person that helps all the devs make secure software. And I didn't know that was a job that a person could have where you still get to hack on things. You still get to write some code, but you also like, you just kind of run around and help everyone. And I was like, yeah, that's for me. Yeah, so that's a good segue into what what are you doing these days? For quite a while, I was doing application security full time because I really like it. Then I worked for Microsoft as a developer advocate. So it's like fancy, fancy new age bottom up marketing. <laughs> but basically, <laughs> I would just get to create super cool demos and like smash things on stage. And I got to have a license to everything that Microsoft makes. And that was so cool. I'm like, free everything. <laughs> um, and imagine the stuff you can make when you have free everything, right? Um, but yeah, then um, I, I wanted to move on. I joined a startup that didn't work out. And so I was trying to decide what to do next. And all these people wrote me and said, hey, can I pay you to come teach our dev secure coding? And I was like, oh, I like money. Okay, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> and then someone else said, hey, could you come and train 
our AppSec team and like help us build our AppSec program. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. So then I started making courses online and then it got bigger than me. And now there's six of us and we have an academy. Yeah. So I basically like we have a full program with a certification and a textbook. And basically like now you can like graduate from like a multi-course program and like become an application security professional. And then this year is secure coding. So I want to have courses like for dev because I've been teaching it for a while, but recording the videos and putting them into the thing and making, I'm kind of a perfectionist. So I'm like, oh no, it has to be perfect. And my team's like, calm down. I'm like, no. (laughs) So it takes a while for me to make a course because I'm just like, I want it to be beautiful. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Basically, I guess uh, I, I make courses and then I do live training too, but it's more about like trying to teach as many people as possible. When I worked at Microsoft, they would always talk about scaling. And they're like, how can we scale you, Tanya? Because we can't fly <laughs> you to every single place in the world, but gosh darn, they tried. Um, <laughs> like I made it to super duper elite 100,000 mile status in April of 2019. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they tried. Um, but they're like, you know, if you write more and you like record videos, you know, then you can do a workshop once with 30 people, but then like hundreds of people can enjoy it afterwards. Like, especially if they're in a different time zone than you. And I'm like, oh, yes, yes. And then when I told them like I was starting my own company, they're like, that's not what we meant. <laughs> <laughs> they're very supportive though. They're very, my colleagues at Microsoft were very, very supportive and still are. So let's talk about application security. What What is that? Because we here are, are mostly application developers. Uh, I've been a line of business application developer for the last 20 years or so. And early in my career, security was ensuring that there was a, a login form and maybe a known password <laughs> for accessing the application if we were lucky. Yeah. It could have been just that it was accessible only on the intranet. Uh, So what are we talking about when we're talking about application security? So my definition of application security is every and any activity that you do to ensure that your software is secure. And so this could be creating a formalized application security program where there's a different security activity during every phase of the system development lifecycle. But it could also be a dev listening to a podcast And let's say at work, they use Node.js. And then the podcast says, yeah, there's this version of Node.js and it has this vulnerability in it and it's really scary. And then the dev goes back to work and they look and they're like, oh, one of our apps has that exact version. Can we make a plan this week to upgrade it to a newer version? Because I'm worried. And then they do it. And then that is part of AppSec. So devs do lots of different security things all the time and probably don't even realize or think about the fact that they're doing it, if that makes sense. But all of them is helping us fight the good fight as security folks. And basically, like, we can't we can't do it without the devs. Um, application security also is a thing that I think they should be teaching in universities and schools that they're not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that will change over the next couple of years. In, in my experience, uh, security is kind of like, I don't know, JavaScript. You learn, you learn what you think that you need to learn. And then as soon as you've learned it, you've, you, you're out of date. There's the thing that you learned. doesn't work anymore. It's not the way that it's supposed to go. Oh my God. Uh, you're doing it all wrong. 
you need to change again. And so we changed that last week. You suck. How did you not know? (laughs) Right. Oh, you didn't know about this new vulnerability. Uh, it's, It's like, it's like that kind of thing. Is there, is there a way that someone could stay relatively on top of the matter, uh, and not, you know, invest like, uh, a month securing an application just to realize that, oh, well, we're not using JWTs anymore. We're using whatever's next. Uh, yes and no. So if you want to keep up on every single fancy vulnerability that exists, you're going to have to keep doing work all the time. However, what I usually prescribe is instead learning the basics to make sure that the code you're writing generally is pretty darn good, and then doing steps within your system development lifecycle to make to verify that you're doing well. So for instance, like a lot of the vulnerabilities that you would hear about on a podcast, most of them are in frameworks or third-party components. So like, I, I don't know if you heard a couple of years ago, there was Image Magic and they named the vulnerability Image Tragic. Um, <laughs> and basically, if you had the Image Magic, basically it, like you would upload an image and it would do like super fancy pants stuff to it and help you format. So it would look really good, right? And lots of devs put that in their app because it was really nice, but it had a huge, huge, awful vulnerability in it. But if you use a software composition analysis tool, which you can totally put in a pipeline or you could have it scan your code every week as it's sitting in your repo, it'll tell you, oh, there's a known vulnerability in this. We're concerned because you have this version. Could you please either update it to this? Or in some cases, if it's bad enough, they'll actually tell you how to go in and edit your code to make sure, like to actually edit part of the framework just to make sure you're safe until a real patch comes out. And so software composition analysis is a super fast check for a pipeline. It's not like some of the other security checks where it's like really hit and miss with the results you're going to get. It'll tell you this is known to be bad. It can't tell you, I know for sure it's secure, but it can tell you like no one's reported anything wrong with it. We took a look at it. It does not look awful. Everything seems to be going okay. So you have our blessing. And that's a pretty good deal. These pipeline tools exist for most platforms, right? Like I know, I know Node uh, has one. When you when you uh, use npm, it'll go. Oh, this this package has a security issue. You need to get that updated. Mm-hmm. But they exist for most platforms, right? Yes and no. So most frameworks will tell you, you know, you're out of date, and some of them will tell you, oh, there's this really obvious vulnerability that we know about. Um, software composition analysis tools, their only purpose is to tell you of either licensing violations or security concerns. And quite often, the companies that make those actually have a full team of security researchers. And so they're actually scanning like the new releases themselves and looking for vulnerabilities themselves before they recommend that you use the stuff. So it's usually like the, it'll find like 10 times as much stuff as, say, like um, the thing that comes with your framework. So for instance, like GitHub has Dependabot and it's cool and it will tell you a bunch of things that are missing and I tell everyone to turn it on. However, it won't find as much as some of the ones that are direct from a security team. So it depends on how much money you have to work with, what level of security you need. Like my company, we make we make training. So none of the information that we have is super sensitive except for like my employee's personal information, which I and my client personal information. But if someone leaks our course, that's intellectual property, that would be awful. But like, it's not, no one's going to die. 
right? Like we're not going to go out of business the next day. It's not really, really important. But for other people, it could be huge. Like, um, you know, if Madonna, the musician, had her album leaked a few weeks before it went live, like that could completely ruin her her sales and like result in a loss. And that would be huge, right? And so it depends on what risk you have, how much money you want to spend to protect something. You were talking about pipelines, and um, that sort of brings up the the topic of uh, DevSecOps. What what is that, and would you like to sort of explain how that fits in with AppSec? Yeah, so application security is all the stuff we do to make sure our apps are secure, and then DevSecOps is basically what us AppSec folks do when everyone else is doing DevOps. So if I work at a, a company and they're doing DevOps, then I need to get my butt in order and do things like within their processes. So if they're releasing code every week, then I need to figure out a way to get my processes to be able to look at that or find a way to do things so I feel safe with them doing that. It is not my job to stop them from getting their work done. I know it feels like it because when I was a dev, I was like, is it literally your job to make it that I can't do my job because you kick ass at your job? <laughs> but it, it, it's not. Um, so the idea is, is, so for instance, like let's say ops is using infrastructure as code, then I would love to be able to scan like their infrastructure as code for vulnerabilities. Like, oh, I'm seeing like you missed this configuration. Like, I would really love it if you did have this configuration. Also, are you backing up that infrastructure as code into your code repository. And if you're not, you're going to make me cry. And just kind we of... have that on Bill's know, computer. So Yeah, we have that on Bill's <laughs> computer. <laughs> Don't worry, I have a copy saved to a floppy disk. I put it in my drawer full of magnets. <laughs> but yeah, that's the idea, um, is that it's what security people need to do to make sure that the DevOps teams are doing all their awesome DevOps, but what they're releasing is as secure as we can get it reasonably. And it's really important that if you are a security person, you're going to go work in a place where it's waterfowl, agile, or DevOps, you get yourself on board with their processes because developers are like water. They can just go around anything they want. And I remember like, so I, I do consulting on the side because I am workaholic, um, but <laughs> when I want to keep knowing AppSec, right? So if I'm going to teach it and I keep writing articles and whatever, I went into this place and they're like, well, we're scanning everything with this expensive SaaS tool and every single pipeline. We run it every time and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, cool. Did the devs turn it off yet? And, <laughs> and they're like, no. Yes, they did. So it was turned off in like two thirds of the pipeline. And then the other thirds, it was turned on, but it was muted. So it didn't matter if it was like 100 criticals, it would never break <laughs> yes. the build. And it all went into a folder that no one had ever logged into one single time. I'm like, you $2,000 for this tool per year. I am costing you like 30K as, as like a part-time consultant. You are getting a steal. I just saved you $200,000. <laughs> um, and then I'm like, let's find a, a better way because the tool is a good tool, but the way we're using it isn't working. So let's do a way where it works for the devs because they're telling you this shit doesn't work for me. Um, that's what they're telling you when they do that. They're not like security is not important to me. They're not like, I hate those people on the security team. What they're doing is saying, I have a deadline. This is the deadline. I have to get there. I would love my app to be secure. 
but you providing goggly goop in some other folder that's way away from my bug tracker that I don't even remember how to get to. I don't know what any of the results mean. And most of it's false positives. I have work to do, Tanya, stop wasting my time. And so it's like about working with the devs and working with ops and understanding how we can help them do their jobs securely, like enable them. And sometimes that means buying a different tool or doing things a different way. And sometimes it means not putting stuff in the pipeline because no one appreciates you adding an hour unless you're adding an hour's worth of value. Like if the pipeline's nine minutes and you're adding an hour, wow, you better be gold plating that app. What's the answer there? Because like you said, if we're doing DevOps and the ultimate goal there is to quicken that feedback loop, get it into an environment, make sure that it works and and get people testing it and putting their eyes on it and putting their mouse clicks through the application and and verifying Mm -hmm. the features that we're, we're delivering work as expected. We also want to ensure security, but like you said, we don't want to add an hour to our pipeline just to get that turnaround. Is, is the solution an additional pipeline? Is it doing more collaborative work with the security professionals and, and getting them involved from, from that early conversation before you even start thinking about pipelines and, and deployments? So I have so many answers for you. So first of all, I believe in adding security requirements to every project. Like if there's a web app, there's certain things I know that I want you to do. If you're doing a file upload, I know that there's extra things I want you to do. Etc. So if you start with some requirements and you're like, listen, if you want to go play on the internet, you need to be this tall to ride this ride. And that requires like, let's say HTTPS and it requires, you know, all these things. So then you're already setting some standards. I also believe in giving them secure code guidelines or requirements or training so that I, I know that they have like a certain level of knowledge. So I'm not walking, walking around, whacking people on hands for making the exact same mistake over and over because I never taught them what I wanted. So like give them all the expectations of what you need from them. And then I'm also a big fan of secure design, applying those concepts when you design. And that usually means spending time with a security person. I'm also a fan of threat modeling, but let's put those aside. So those are extra things. In a pipeline, there are a lot of things you can do to make things faster. And sometimes it means taking things out. Sometimes it means having two. So one thing you could do is if devs have lots of awesome unit tests, you could work with them and create negative unit tests or abuse unit tests. So you can add in things that are dangerous that you're concerned about. And then every time they run their unit tests, it will also test to make sure that they fail gracefully with bad input. So that's one thing you can do. So if someone changes something and then all of a sudden, you know, the attack gets through, it's like, oh, so that's before you get to the pipeline. Hmm. When you go to check in your code, you can do a pre-commit hook. So you can say like, as you're checking in the code, you can scan it for secrets. And it's like, oh gosh, darn, that looks like a, that looks like a hash. That looks bad. I don't think you should check that in or, oh, a connection string, including the password. No, 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 thank you. And it can stop you there. And that's before you even get to the pipeline. Then in the pipeline, you can do faster checks in the release one. So the one that actually goes out and releases it to different environments. So a fast check would be something like secret scanning, something like SCA, Something like you could do a dynamic application security testing scan, except for if you work with your QA team, if they're doing something like Selenium automated tests where it like tests the GUI every time, when they do that, they create something called a HAR file, an HAR file. So you can take that, plug that into your DAS tool. Not all of them do it, but lots of them do. And then it will follow that exact thing like 
punching everything in the face as it goes, but it'll run like 10 times quicker than if you didn't give it that HAR file. And so you can say like, this is the functionality we're the most concerned about, or this is the way we want you to test. So you can do a subsection of testing with that. And then you can run the whole gamut in another pipeline that does not block release that runs asynchronously. And then you can have a security person check, you know, once a week or once a day, depending upon how many security people you have. And they can go through and then fish out the false positives and look through it and say, okay, so there's actually, you know, 10 things here, but only three of them really worry me. Can we talk about these three? I want to put them in your backlog. And so you could automate these tests running because, you know, let's say every minor release that you change, it kicks off this parallel pipeline that has a ton of security checks that takes like 13 hours to run. You never want to wait for that. But I come in Monday morning and I'm like, woohoo, I'm going to go dig through these results and then like give everyone prezzies. It's good because <laughs> we're catching these things, right? There's lots of like strategies for how to do things faster. Um, but what I see a lot of in industry is people plugging in really old AppSec tools that are high quality, amazing tools that are not supposed to be used that way. And then they're really frustrated with the results. And it's like, well, yes, I could take a mug and probably hammer in a nail. It's not going to go well because that's not what it's built for. Also, what you're describing also sounds a lot like a lot of human working with humans. There's not just uh, I feel like most of the security that I've encountered is, well, we just want we just want an app that makes it secure an application, right? So we're going to pay as much money as it takes in order to give us the thing that makes it secure. And then it's going to spit out all the work for you, Dev. You're going, well, wait a second. Like it, That's not how security works. It, you can't make something secure. There's levels of security. Like we could make it more secure or less secure, but we can't make it secure. Uh, so how do you work with the business to sort of even understand how how application security even is feasible and uh, work? Because I feel like that's where one of the big disconnects, especially in really large companies. So in my course, I basically just teach what I do. <laughs> and so there's a bunch of different ways that you can get buy-in. In order to legitimize your AppSec program, so there's tons of people that do AppSec and it's like, an extra part of their job they don't get paid for. No one buys them the tool they need. No one gives them an intern that they really need to help them just go through like piles of results. And then they often, because they don't have buy-in and legitimacy, they don't have the ability to get the changes needed that they want. And so there's a bunch of different ways that you can get buy-in and a bunch of different groups you need buy-in from. So there's management and then there's the devs. And so for management, you can get buy-in in a bunch of ways. So like I was actually speaking to a client this week that had a huge, 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 huge hack in 2018. He's like, yeah, whatever you say, we're going to do it. And I'm like, awesome. <laughs> and he's like, it's all I have to do is say, remember 2018. And then they just do. But most organizations don't have that. So mm -hmm. instead with managers, what I've done in the past is explain very clearly the risk in ways they understand. So there's a super smart person but who doesn't do AppSec. So I can't say the sky is falling, blah, 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 CVE, blah. I have to speak their language. So I explain, you know, what could happen is that our customers could have this. And then this law is enacted. What could happen is this. And here's the likelihood I see of this happening. Here's other examples in industry of this happening. If the business still isn't in, what I've often done is created something called a risk sign-off sheet. And it's me placing blame in writing. So I'm like, I have alerted you to these things that are like making me pull my hair out and cry. 
I'm so worried about them. I want to make it clear in writing that you are not allowing me to action these things. And no one signs it. They're always like, go to hell. <laughs> the point is, is that I put it in writing and I'm like, your inaction is acceptance of this risk. I'd like you to sign this sheet. They never sign. And they're just like, well, what do you want from me? I'm like, I want the authority, not just the responsibility. And so things usually go better then, but that's like a, that's like a last ditch resort. I also often will just make cool proof of concepts. Like I, I worked somewhere once and I wanted them to use security headers. And I, I sent all the security team because there's the security team and the devs that were against the security headers. The security team were like, we're risk analysts and we don't dictate code and you don't get to dictate code. And I was like, uh, okay. So then I was just like, hey, everybody, click this link. You want an iPod? And they're like, Tanya, we know this is from you. And we know we didn't win an iPod. I'm like, well, you know, we have 20,000 employees and you know, they love clicking on things. So how about you click? <laughs> and so they clicked and they're like, wow, this website looks just like prod that you're framing and stealing the credentials. I'm like, it is prod. It's that easy. <laughs> and then they're like, well, it's bright yellow. It's really obvious. I'm like, dude, half the time of me making this proof of concept was figuring out how to make it visible so you could see what I was doing. It's usually, it's invisible by default. And they're like, so what are these lines of code we need to add? But, but with devs, I feel like it's easier to get their buy-in through just sharing information with them and making it interesting. So my, my very first AppSec program, like I was a dev, I was in charge of the dev team. And then I was in charge of hiring the pen tester. I was in charge of hiring the secure code review people. And I was in charge of mitigating all the things. And then I, I ended up moving to the security team and then being the CISO um, very quickly. And the devs, I wanted them to start scanning their, their apps because we were, we were doing no security whatsoever, basically, um, except for that one app. And so... I sent an email out to all of them and they knew me and I was like, I'm going to break into a bank at lunch. Who wants to see? There'll be donuts. Because <laughs> that works. Turns out pizza is even better. But anyway, so then I just showed them like, here's this intentionally vulnerable app. And like, this is the way I could get in. And I made them help me. I'm like, oh, like what? Maybe it could be this. And I kept like guessing wrong on purpose. And then we got it. And then we spilled out the session ID. We spilled out the passwords. And I was like, this happened to one of our apps this year. And they're just like, oh, I was like, please let me help you make this not happen. Like, here's how we could have stopped this. Here's another way we could have stopped this. Here's this. And I'm like, I need your help. And then they're like, what do we do? I'm like, I'm going to show you. And then I just started like having lunch and learns basically like I learned a new thing. Who wants to come? There is pizza. And then like bribery works really well. You are all software <laughs> developers. So you probably know, but like in Canada, if you have a pizza, like all of us software developers come out of nowhere and we're like, hello. So I guess I try to attract people to security to get their buy-in whenever possible. I don't like going around with a stick. I'm much more likely to try to get as many people to come to me and, and then always help them. So like if a dev says to you, so we're going to do this, like, do you know how to do it? I don't always know how to do it, but I say, I don't know how, but I'm going to find out. Can we have a meeting? Can we brainstorm? Can we write this out on a whiteboard? Can I have some time to research this? Like when you leave a dev hanging, they still have a deadline. They're still going to code it. They're just not going to code it with your security advice. In my experience, that's the biggest 
I get the projection of of security additions is is just the like the the business has a deadline for me. I don't know anything about security. But I'm doing what uh, you know the framework that I'm working in suggests. Get off my back. I don't have time for this. Yeah, it's an internal app, and nobody's even going to ever see it. Just leave me alone. And like so, uh, like you mentioned putting together those really awesome demos. And if I could do that, I would love to do that. But I did not get a chance to go to like an ethical hacker course or and, uh, you know, yeah. there's I'm, I'm interested in so many things and yeah. learning, learning about security is is on the list. But it's yeah. it's not the highest thing on the list because it's one of those topics. It's like you open up the book and it's just all Greek. So you put it down. How can an individual like myself who's interested get the information without it it being completely foreign and 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 then maybe be able to help their coworkers also get that information. So I wrote a book because this book didn't exist and because I kept teaching it to people and people said why can't I just buy this in a book? Like why isn't there a book on this? And I was like I don't know. And then publishers started writing me and they're like your blog's really great. What if it was a book? And I was like <laughs> I don't have time for this and I didn't but then I did. Um, so Alison Bobler and Application Security is a book that I wrote so that devs can know security. It's also for security people, but it starts at the very beginning with like the first chapter is basically like, why is the security team bothering me? <laughs> and, you know, what is confidentiality, integrity and availability? How does it affect a character named Alice or a character named Bob? Um, so Alice and Bob are super famous in the security field. When encryption was invented, and they're trying to explain it to the normals who weren't mathematicians, they're like, Alice wants to tell Bob a secret. How does she do that securely? How does Bob know the secrets from Alice? How does he know it wasn't changed? And they used those two characters as a story to explain. And so since then, we all use Alice and Bob for basically everything. But I've given Alice and Bob families, careers, health conditions, and it's not a storybook, but there are stories all throughout it to explain. The idea is, is then I go through the system development life cycle. So, you know, no matter what you're doing, you have to have requirements of what you're writing, whether it's iterative or if it's very, very, very long at the beginning. And then, you know, you do a huge waterfall. But what are security requirements? Like, what do they mean? How would I apply one? And so there's some code in the book, but a lot of the book is like the idea of like how to create an application security program, how to, as a dev, just understand why the security team needs this from you or what they would want from you or, oh, I'm designing an app. So how could I design security into that app? I also like to think that it's funny because I think I'm funny. Um, <laughs> and so there's lots of kind of like cute little jokes and cute stories. There's also a lot of like happy ending stories where it's a thing that happened to me and that's what I dream or wish had happened. But really management was like, we can't afford that, Tanya. But yeah, I wanted a book to exist. So what other resources might uh, you direct people to? Uh, I Obviously, you guys have uh, courses uh, at We Hack Purple. And, um, but what about some of the apps you, you mentioned, uh, are there anything that's free or like other, any other good resources that people, you can point people to? Well, thank you for the setup. We're releasing some free <laughs> mini courses through our newsletter at newsletter.wehackpurple.com. And they actually started the first round started today, but we're just going to continue to release them. Um, and so one is about incident response. So if your app is if your app is being attacked, like what do you do? 
Um, and how do you prepare for that to make sure that you're ready? And so that's more of a security team type of thing. But having devs understand what's needed from them can be really helpful. Uh, and then the other one is about how to scale your security program and scale your security team when you don't have more security dollars. And like all, because I have worked at places where I'm not officially AppSec, but I still have to run an AppSec program. And my budget is this. I have lots of tricks and, and trades, but there's there's so many places. So I'm a huge fan of the Open Web Application Security Project, also known as OWASP. And if you want to go to their website, it's OWASP.org. Um, so they have chapters all over the world. They have all sorts of projects. So I was part of a project until literally last month for several years called OWASP Dev Slop, like sloppy DevOps. And basically me and a friend, she created an awful app like with microservices. And then I was like, let's smash that. <laughs> and then we just started making videos of us smashing things and like giving workshops on how to hack JWT tokens and stuff like that. And then I was like, what if we just like streamed ourselves like doing security testing and building stuff and then breaking stuff and cloud stuff? Um, and then before we knew it, we had like a collective of all these different techie women where like we would just smash things together and have guests on. So they still do something at least twice a month, every month. Um, so if you want to learn from a whole bunch of very intelligent, fun ladies, OWASP DevSlop has its own YouTube channel and it's totally awesome. OWASP though itself has tons of vulnerable apps. So they have a project where they track the tons of vulnerable apps so that you can go and play with lots of them. They also have another page where it shows you all the different online war games. So a war game is like an intentionally vulnerable system where you're trying to find vulnerabilities and then exploit them and get points and you're cool. Um, <laughs> so they have meetups, which right now are on the internet. And so that's awesome because you can literally attend from anywhere. And so uh, I live on Vancouver Island, but the Vancouver chapter is much more active than my chapter. And so sometimes we just go to theirs because <laughs> we can and they're our neighbors. So OWASP is an amazing community for this. And most of the things OWASP does are free, except for when they have um, conferences or paid training. But yeah, there's just thousands and thousands and thousands of volunteers like me who who run all of these things because we care a lot. And so if you want to get into stuff, definitely OWASP. And We Hack Purple is uh, the way to do it for sure. Um, I've met so many amazing human beings through the OWASP community. And and like they love devs. That's who they're doing it for. But mostly it attracts security nerds because we wish that devs would show up all the time. But, you know, <laughs> it's like a, it's a mix. I would say chapters are usually like half security people, half devs. But we all know there's a lot more devs than there are security people. So we need to, I don't know, get more pizza or something. What has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or maybe those looking to level up their own careers? I feel that um, having a professional mentor is the thing that has made, well, and like lots and lots and lots and lots of hard work, but is one of the things that has made me so successful. So when I joined security, I had a professional mentor at first, and that person ended up being, of all the professional mentors I had, being the absolute worst one. He taught me lots of things that I'm like, oh, now that I know more, that was illegal. Like, it's like <laughs> not good messages. <laughs> I was like, really? Because I feel like he's like, oh, no, it's not a big deal. I'm like, mm. um, then I got better law abiding one and um, another one, another one. And 
having someone that you know that you can trust who has your best interests at heart as opposed to their own and having like their years and years and years of experience. So like now I'm running a startup and then I have a bunch of professional mentors that founded their own startups, like way bigger than mine, helping me make really big decisions. So I only call on them when I really need them. And so this has helped me so much that um, a few years ago, I started an initiative on Twitter called Cyber Mentoring Monday. So it's a hashtag Cyber Mentoring Monday. And every single Monday for years now, I've paired people with professional mentors every Monday. And so if you want to learn stuff about security and you're a dev or your ops or anything remotely to do with security, even if you're just like, I want to learn JavaScript, I'll retweet you. So I'm she hacks purple on Twitter. And yes, I have some purple in my hair Um, and purple is a security term. (laughs) Um, And basically like I'll retweet you to all my followers. And there are actually several of us now all across the information security industry that will retweet and people that call out like I'm ready to mentor someone like this is the stuff I know who needs help. And we have paired hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And it has resulted in people finding jobs, people switching like from one job to another or switching groups where they work, people getting promoted, just like, and also like a ton of friendships. Um, And so it's been, it's been really beautiful to watch the information security community just come to life. And so someone will, will tweet like, and use the hashtag cyber mentoring Monday. And they'll say, you know, like, I don't even know where to start. Like if someone could just have a virtual coffee with me or, you know, I don't even. And so then everyone will come and say like, oh, here's an article that could help you choose. And like, here's a podcast that might help you. And then someone will say like, hey, do you want to like meet on Friday? And we'll both like meet on Zoom or something and have coffee. And yeah, it's been really beautiful. And I have to say, like, I don't know where I would be without my professional mentors and how much time and heartache they have saved me in many situations, like um, whether to do something or not to do something. So for instance, when I was going to start my startup, I was, I'm risk adverse. (laughs) (laughs) I'm afraid of not having enough money to pay for my bills. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And starting a startup's really scary. And my professional mentor, Kim, sat with me and she said, do you have tons of outstanding debts and you're drowning in debt? I'm like, no. She's like, do you have like little babies that like need your attention all day? I'm like, no. (laughs) And she's like, if you didn't make money for six months, like, can you be fine? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like consulting on the side. And she's like, okay, so what are you afraid of? Like, what's the worst (laughs) thing that can happen? And I was like, well, if my startup doesn't go well, she's like, then you'll just get a really kick-ass high-paying job anywhere the F you want because you're Tony Jacob. <laughs> I was like, oh, she's like, yeah, worst case scenario, you quit and then walk into like a six-figure job because you're like qualified out the wazoo. And I was like, oh. And she's like, so are you still scared? And I'm like, no. And she's like, great, mimosas. And then she hired champagne for us because <laughs> we were at a restaurant. And I was just like, oh my God, Kim's so amazing. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned your Twitter uh is that the best place for our listeners to go to follow you and sort of keep up with what you're working on? Or is there someplace better? So I have a newsletter for me. So every time I'm on a podcast or I write blog posts and share content, um, so and it's free, it's newsletter.shehackspurple.ca. And then because I'm Canadian, you can hear my accent when I talk about stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I send that out approximately once a month slash when I feel like it. I also like there's the We Hack Purple community, which is $100 a year to join. Um, and I share 100% of content there. 
Um, and then you kind of get to meet other people and hang out for my company. So basically like I'm on Twitter all the time cause I'm a nerd and I want to see what the other nerds are doing. Um, and then I'm in my community all the time talking to everyone and sharing stuff. Um, but I also, my marketing team has made Facebook page. The security people do not like Facebook. Uh, and Instagram, I'm like, I'm too old for Instagram. They won't let me on there. They're like, that's not true. There's not actually an age maximum. Um, but my marketing team's like, you look great there. I'm like, oh, no. um, but, but basically like if you go to wehackpurple.com, you'll see all the company stuff. And if you just look up, she hacks purple. Like I have the YouTube, I have the, tw- I have all the stuff. Um, but I mostly hang out on Twitter. Thanks, Tanya. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you so much for having me. That was Tanya Jenka. Tanya is founder and CEO at We Hack Purple Academy, community and podcast. She's a best-selling author of Alice and Bob Learn Application Security. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. Catch us live each week on Twitch, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash.